Welcome, listeners. Here is part two of the last podcast by Abbot George Burke about how real masters often hide their spiritual status. So you know I'm not just speaking also completely. I've given some examples. I want to tell you an experience of mine, because they say experience is the best teacher. So this is what happened to me. There is an ashram in Rishikesh, in the Himalayan foothills, called Kailash Ashram. It is, chances are, the most sacred and the most uh, really spiritually glorious ashram in India. Tremendous number of monks live there. I mean, at certain times, there's like 2,000 or more monks there. Wow. Phenomenal, phenomenal. I mean, to, to, to walk onto the property is to like go into another dimension. It's truly amazing. Okay. When I was there earlier on, the head of the ashram was named Chaitanya Giri. He was very famous. In fact, Ananda Ma said to me one time, Chaitanya Giri is the greatest Vedantist in all of northern India. So that was her opinion of him. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, our ashram association of Ananda Ma, once a year in the fall, September, October, depending on the lunar calendar. They don't use a solar calendar for spiritual things. So in September, October, there would be a conference. And I mean, several hundred people would come. And all day long, these very, very famous spiritual leaders would give talks throughout the whole day in the evening. So this one time I went to this one, of course, naturally, Ananda Maima was there. This was in Dehradun, which also is in the Himalayan foothills. I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes drive from where the Kailash Ashram is. But out of respect for Mother Anandamai, Chaitanya Giri used to come every single day in the early afternoon and give a talk for an hour and then go back to Kailash Ashram. He did this seven days in a row. So for seven days, I had the chance of listening to him speak. Well, when he walked in, something happened. It was a huge, they call them pandals. Think of it as a tent that has a flat roof. Okay. And it was holding a few hundred people. It was huge. But when he would come in very unobtrusively off to one side and come and walk up onto the platform and sit down, sit there, and he'd talk for an hour. And I could not understand a word, but it didn't matter. I listened to his voice, and in his voice, I got the important message. Just everything about him was divine light. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. It was incredible, incredible. And so I wasn't surprised. He's the head of Kalashash. Okay. Now to come on further, quite some years later, I went to visit a Swami, a friend of mine at Shivananda Ashram. Her name was Swami Pranavananda, very remarkable person in her own right. She said, listen, there is a great saint at Kalash Ashram I want you to meet. 
And I, I've made arrangements. I telephoned and we can go there and visit him. He's not much in the public eye and so on. Not people know about him, but he's really, truly a great soul. And I want you to get to meet him because chances are you'll never have another chance. She said, however, we'll have to visit the head of the ashram, of Kalashra Ashram first, because that's just protocol. Okay. We would go, we'll see him for a bit, then we'll go see him. I said, wonderful. I, I think Chaitanya Giri is just fantastic. I'd love to meet him again. She said, oh, no, no, no. He, he left the body a few years ago. The, this, is, this is a new head of the ashram. His name is Vishudevananda. I thought, uh, I said, uh, tell me this Vishudevananda, does he ever give talks sometime uh, at events where in the in Ananda-Ma's ashrams? She said, oh, yes, almost usually. And I thought, oh, God save me, because this was one of the most boring speakers I ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, the man was boring. I don't mean, I mean, he was boring. And he was boring. Mm. And he was just a dud. I mean, literally, if you'd made a statue and put it next to him, there'd been more alive. So I said, well, okay, because I, if I wanted to meet the saint, I've got to go meet the dead. So first we went, we went into this very large room. There was Sai Vishudevananda. Yep, that was him. <laughs> that was the boar. He was just sitting there. He actually was sitting in a chair. And of course, we saluted him and so on. And he talked a bit to her. And then uh, one of the other sadhus came and started talking to Pranavanandaji between the two of them. And so I just kind of sat there, sort of like twiddling my thumbs mentally and looking around. And all of a sudden, of course, there, right, say, three feet away from me, was sitting Vishuddhivananda. All of a sudden, this divine <laughs> aura just came out of him and filled the whole room. And I mean, it stunned me. I actually jumped and looked up wow. at him. And uh, he made a gesture, meaning that meant, you know, like, be quiet, don't say anything, don't, don't, don't make any, you know, don't, don't, don't <laughs> indicate anything's happened. And I just sat there, I looked at him bug-eyed, and I mean, Jonathan, <laughs> it was phenomenal. The power, the light, the brilliance, the consciousness. It was awesome. So as long as she was talking with this other person, it was about 10, 15 minutes. I just sat there and I was in my mind apologizing, let me tell you, and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't really know. <laughs> and then just before she ended the conversation, that divine thing all just went back in and went inside him and was gone and you couldn't feel it at all and was just back to blank. Well, I never forgot that wow. and I have always been grateful to him 
for having shown that to me so that I wouldn't make a mistake and think that just because they didn't feel anything, didn't perceive anything, that there wasn't anything there to perceive. But again, this is a master, you see. He had it under total, total, total control. Adonai Ma once mentioned this about someone who is extremely unremarkable in most people's eyes. In speaking about, about this sadhu, she said, absolutely, she said, such a person rarely comes on the earth because everything has been totally internalized, completely absorbed and turned into an assorted, you could just say, the consciousness of liberation. Like even forget vibration. And this is very, very rare. And I realized, well, Bishop Devananda had done that. And mm -hmm. so there were others. So that's how we can see that great masters can keep people completely in the dark. Oh, this doesn't quite figure, but it's such a great story that I love. I got to tell it to you. Okay, one of Yogananda's secretaries, because he had several, because he dictated, 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 and kept a lot of people busy <laughs> in his uh, writing his books. Okay. And her name was Peggy Dietz. And uh, <clears throat> Peggy told me that she had a very good friend who she considered was pretty spiritual. And she thought, well, it will benefit her to get to see and listen to Yogananda. So she invited her to go to the Hollywood church one Sunday with her so she could hear Yogananda speak. So her friend came and went in. They sat there. It's a very small little church. It was even smaller at Yogananda's time. Maybe 60 people would be in there at a time. And uh, so they sat there. And Yogananda, Yogananda spoke. And about halfway through the talk, her friend quietly asked her, well, when is the Paramhansa coming out? And she said, what are you talking about? There he is standing right there. She said, really? I thought, well, this is Hollywood. That's a special effect. She said, I don't see anything but a great white light. And I hear his voice coming out from the light. And I thought it was some kind of like a special effect. And he was back somewhere speaking over a microphone. Peggy said, well, no, he's just right there. So later on, when it was over and people were out in front of the little church there, people talking to each other quietly and so on. Peggy and her friend were there, and near them, this one woman said with great indignation, Great white light indeed! I was there, and there was no great white light. <laughs> yes, so it is. So, of course, uh, it's so easy to not see. It's easier to not see than it is to see. Mm -hmm. So th this, is, this is a very, very, very important thing 
for us to understand. And, and I'm going to talk about another thing. Um, and this is the end. Masters and karma. One of the things they do with their karma. They literally know their karma. They read their karma. They see it in detail. They don't see it like a lump of something. Okay? And their minds are so vast, they can take it in. They literally choose what karmas to dissolve and what karmas to maintain. Okay. I mean, this is very important to know. So they will keep these karmas because you understand to go into the highest world and then come back again to give help to the people around here. It isn't easy. Kriyananda asked Yogananda, what is it like for you every time you're going to have to incarnate? Or going to incarnate, because it wasn't a matter of have to. But what's it like for you each time you're going to incarnate? Yogananda said it would be like having to put on two or three heavy wool overcoats on a blistering hot summer day. Mm-hmm. He said, that's what, that's what it's like when I see the personality I'm going to have to take on and I see the body I'll inhabit and basically what the life was going to be. Oh, wow. That it was like that. So, again, Jesus had a karma to work out with Lucifer and he waited clear until all that time. Wow. After he'd even become totally perfected. So, they keep these and they come down on these little threads. So we talked about India, about Yogananda, yeah. a, love, a subject I love. So let's talk a little bit about this. At the end of Yogananda's life, he didn't need to eat. In fact, he li- basically lived without eating. He just lived on God's light, of course. But he had a, a kind of a little, it wasn't a lunchbox, it's one of these little plastic things that has many little compartments in it. And he'd put nuts and dried fruit and things like in that. And for example, when the Lake Shrine of Pacific Palisades was being worked on, these people were out there working very, very hard. And he would go out and he'd come up to one of the workers say, oh, here, have a little of this. He might only give them two cashew nuts. They'd eat it. They wouldn't be hungry anymore. And they'd eat and they'd work on for hours and not feel the least bit tired. So he'd go around feeding everybody out of this, you see. And that's how he mostly lived. But then, just in the last few weeks of his life, he would eat only Indian food. Wow. And he would try to create Indian food. The Consul General was coming there. You know, that's that function in the hotel where Yogananda left his body, actually, the reception for the Consul General. So the Consul General was coming to uh, Mount Washington, and Yogananda wanted to make, the bring out his call them singharas. I see often in Indian restaurants, they call them samosa. He wanted to make it just like he used to get in bazaars back in Calcutta. And he experimented and he experimented and he had an awful time with it. But finally he got it and it was just right. And he was so glad. 
And so then he had all his food given there. Then they came and ate there, the consul general and his wife and the ambassador, uh, the Indian ambassador from uh, to U.S. and so on. So he made all this fuss about Indian food involved with an Indian person and himself had been eating all only Indian food and elaborate Indian food. At the same time, though he knew he was going to leave the body, I mean, he told people months and months before, he said, all right, now I'm going to be leaving. I don't have that much time left. Mm -hmm. It's time. I'm going to be called. Divine Mother will call me. I'll walk away without looking back. And then, uh, you know, he actually said to Diamata, a few hours before his Ma Samadhi, you realize in a few hours I will be gone, okay? So there was no doubt that Yogananda knew he was going to leave the body. He knew exactly when he was going to leave the body. But what do you suppose he had done some months before? He had bought a ticket for himself on a, on a boat to go to India. And he didn't just buy a ticket for himself. He bought several tickets for his senior most disciples there living in the ashram. Now, you can think, well, how was he a master then? What's the idea? He knew he was going to leave the body, but he didn't know he was going to leave the body. Why would he buy a ticket for himself and for these people to go to India? Very easily. He was stamping that impression in his mind hmm. to use as a thread for his next incarnation, which would be in India. And more than once he said, my next life will be in India. I'll have no public appearances whatsoever. I'm going to be a simple monk. I'm going to literally wander up and down the whole Ganges from Calcutta, clear up to the source. And I'll have a few of my disciples with me. And we'll just be a small group. No one will pay any attention to. And our life will be wandering by the Ganga. So those disciples for whom he bought the tickets, they are the ones that will be with him in that future life. You see? Wow. So... We we have a, a real problem here, Jonathan, that a lot of fake gurus do a lot of idiotic things, and they do a lot of things that prove that they haven't got any higher consciousness. Wow. And it's perfectly sensible for us to say, well, look, I'm not fooled. But at the same time, great masters can do things that can fool us. And so often knives. When these false people do these things, they say, oh, Guruji has a special purpose for this. Oh, he sees things differently. Oh, Guruji doesn't consider that blah, 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 blah. You follow me? Mm -hmm. And make excuses for someone that would be obviously a, a completely person immersed in samsara and ignorance and just simply a confidence trickster, spiritually speaking. Yeah. But being able to figure out when it is and when it isn't, we do need to be able to figure it out. 
that's why we need to meditate. <laughs> that uh, have our mind honed through meditation so that we'll really know what we're seeing. Okay. <laughs> we'll really understand it.